I'm going to deliver opening remarks this morning. Um, and I've titled the presentation Viscerality and Convergence Culture. Um, and it comes from a walk in the rain. What I'd like to do is talk for a, a little point this morning, um, just sharing some of my thoughts about the way that convergence culture, I think, has changed the discourses around our engagements with, with technology and consequently the discourses around the intersection between culture and technology. And this is organized particularly around social practices um, and it's oriented particularly towards uh, concepts of audienceship and audienceness and what makes us us um, and stuff like that. Um, it, it, this is the result of a walk in the rain, and it is the result of a walk in the rain on Thursday night when I was walking home listening to my iPod and thinking about home, which is pretty much precisely the other side of the world, and remarking um, or, or ruminating really on the way that our engagement with technology now is often described through incredibly visceral terms. And I'm not suggesting this is necessarily new, I'm just trying to connect it to some of the things that are currently in play. I'm not sure whether viscerality is a real word. I think it's a bit of portmanteau. Um, I googled it and, oh, no. Um, <laughs> but it kind of makes sense to me and I don't think it's a horrendous neologism. So if people want to take it up, that'd be awesome. Um, and it also connects to something later about verbing nouns. Um, uh, this is a, is a picture from, from DeviantArt, um, but I got it via a site called Pixel Girl Presents. Um, I use my laptop a lot. Uh, I use it all the time when I'm teaching, and I really heart slideshows in a big way. Um, and I often get asked, what are the backgrounds, uh, particularly by students, where do you get backgrounds from, what are the backgrounds, whatever. Um, and this one is called Strawberry Meat. Um, I, I liked it because it's visceral to start with. Um, it's also not offensive, but it kind of looks offensive. Um, and this, this blurring and this fuzziness, this notion of offensiveness, this idea of, of uh, organic elements, I think, is infecting or uh, is changing discourses around technology currently, um, but particularly discourses around the way in which technology is spoken about. So Thursday or Friday, we launched the Zoom. We didn't, of course. Microsoft did. Now, this is what got me thinking about the entire visceral experience because the Zoom allows you to transfer content to a certain extent. And Steve Balamus describes this as squirting. And I thought that that was interesting. At what point did we go from transferring from zipping to squirting? Because squirting is a visceral metaphor. It suggests that like a tube of toothpaste, the Zoom somehow expands and then content to somebody else. But then you read what Balmer actually said. And he said, I want to squirt you a picture of my kids. Fair enough. You want to squirt me back a video of your vacation. That's a software experience. Is it a software experience? Because Microsoft explains it as well, by welcoming you to the social. What they're constructing is, is a software experience as a social experience. But I actually think that the social experience that they're going for is not a software experience. It's a cultural experience. So the notion behind sharing content, behind squirting something from one place to another, from one friend to another, is not a software experience. It's a cultural experience, particularly if it's going to become social. And here we run into the problems with the Zoom. Because, of course, you can't squirt me um, uh, a track. 
I mean, you can, you can send me your MP3, but then I get three plays before it's locked out. Only if it's a particular sort of MP3. Only if it's uh, digital rights management managed. And so if it's, if it's completely unencoded, I can do with it what I want. But if I buy it from the principal source, from the Microsoft shop, then when you, I squirt it to you, you get three listens and then it's gone. Then you're offered the opportunity to purchase it. This is a software experience, not a social experience. And because it's a Microsoft product, of course, <clears throat> first of all, it's incompatible with Vista. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't play Plays For Sure songs, which is Microsoft's previous DRM program. And it didn't take many unboxings before we got the installation error. And in fact, the Engadget guys who put this up, this was the first time. Now, I'm not here to slam the Zune. I think it's an elegant player. People are slacking it off saying it's large and heavy, but it's no larger than the original iPod. Um, I think the, the, the interface is interesting. Um, the UI is intuitive, and it's certainly aesthetically pleasing. I'm not here to try and slag off Microsoft. I just want to talk about some of the problems in their approach. Now, when we return to this idea of the visceral, the descriptions that accompanied this picture, particularly on Dig, referred to orgasms. Because, the, and, and the, sorry, the, the, the story on Dig was titled, Zune Gets You Hot. And so the description around this was, for some reason, Microsoft has chosen that an installation error will give you an orgasm. <laughs> <clears throat> but the viscerality, and I didn't do this, I pinched this. The viscerality of the experience is such that, that the Zune is inside my computer affecting my organs, giving me a migraine. And, he, and, and this is a, uh, what we used to call appropriation. But like irony, I don't think appropriation is, is an appropriate term anymore. Boom, boom. Um, it connects to this idea of I'm in your computer having a migraine, giving you a migraine, <clears throat> connects to uh, a mem at the moment that's, uh, that we see rising, which is, and it's an old mem, and it's about verbing nouns. And so <clears throat> when Pelosi got in, one of the first things that came around on the internet was, I'm in your house impeaching your dudes, which is a reference to, um, to this, uh, this slide down here on, on, the, on the bottom right, which is apparently StarCraft, but it's not. Um, <clears throat> and I'm in your base killing your dudes is um, a little cultural thing that happens in gaming land when a noob gets online and can't find you, and they ask you where you are. And of course, you've crossed the line, captured their flag, and you're killing your, their dudes. Um, and this is going around at the moment. Um, for some reason, convergence culture is all about kittens. But that's okay, because I quite like kittens. Um, but but this, this idea of verbing nouns and, and technology doing something to us is being passed around at the moment as a way to understand uh, relationships with things, um, and particularly as a way to, to share some sort of a sense of common, of common culture. And it's culture developed around wordplay. It's, it's culture developed around reappropriation. This uh, photo with the kitty eating your foods, um, there are three or four different versions of, of the photo going around. And Invisible Sandwich is another mem that's going around at the moment. My favorite one is Invisible Bike, which is a kitty jumping up, and it looks like it's riding an invisible bike. Um, <clears throat> But I just think that it's interesting that one of the responses to the Microsoft installation error is to appropriate it within this discourse of language, which does something to our, or, or describes something about our relationship with technology now, such that our, our experience is not a software experience, it's a social experience. 
<clears throat> and this reminded me of an old TDK ad. Did you guys get these here? Is this from, from the late 90s? Um, this is from TDK Australia. And there's some video, but it plays in a, in a chunky standalone player, so we're not going to watch it. Um, TDK in Australia in the, um, uh, in the very late 90s, beginning 2000, dropped TDK does amazing things to your system, to your system um, and instead uh, picked up Evolve to TDK. Um, and so they put together a series of, of, of ads. Um, the, the top one is, is a little graphic um, where you actually get to watch the evolution in place, complete with growing ears and, and square eyes. This, I think, is an old way of relating to technology. Because in a convergence culture environment, the notion that we should evolve to technology doesn't sit well anymore. And this is the problem with the Zoom. The sharing that the Zoom enables requires you to play by its rules. And in a converged environment, and particularly the current moment, we don't play by technology's rules. Rather, we bash, hit, and crack technology until it plays by our rules. And so the Zoom picture was, was touched up again um, to make a reference to the iPod. <clears throat> and I think, I think that that's relevant, not just because the Zoom is being positioned directly against the iPod, not just because the iPod has such a cult. And I, I'm not sure about iCult, to be perfectly honest, because I really like my iPod. And it's what got me thinking about this in the first place. But Apple really isn't that good. I mean, they make wonderful products, and the UI is fantastic. And in terms of their relationship, I much rather, I much more enjoy having a relationship with this machine than I do with the Toshiba box that I had before it. But iTunes runs DRM. It's not the worst DRM in the world, but it's certainly not the best. And iTunes has managed to corner the market and, and make that system the system that we accept. And we say, blah, 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 and it's on iTunes. And I think to myself, yes, 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 but by... By taking the advantage of iTunes, are we doing away with um, uh, some, of, some of the battle that people have been fighting about uh, freedoms around culture? At any rate, um, this is the, is the emergency card from a continental flight um, that I was on to Houston. Um, and I, I raise it because when we're talking about the iPod and we're talking about the way in which it, it, it enables us to do things... Um, I, Apple has just signed a deal with a bunch of, of, of airlines that will put iPod docks into armrests in planes, which is fantastic, because if you've ever been a, on a long haul and you've run out of battery, it's really hard to get a recharge on a plane, uh, unless you're in business class. Um, but what it also acknowledges is that our social experience is one that, uh, sorry, our mediated experience is one that we want to manage ourselves. So the idea that we would have flight chairs equipped such that you can plug your iPod in and that it will put your content on the screen in front of you breaks down the proprietary system of the airline. It suggests that as media consumers, uh, or, yeah, that'll do, as media, media consumers, we want to be, we are, and there's no escaping the control that we have over regulating that experience. I'm not quite sure how the little condoms are going to help us when we get out of the airplane, <laughs> but when we wash up on the island, at least we'll be safe for three nights. Um, and I talk about this, this relationship with the airlines because when I was walking home, I was listening to some horrendous track from, from, from back in my youth. When I, when I flew out of Australia, I couldn't bring that much with me. So I brought two bags and a 60 gig iPod. 
Um, and it was partly to, to scale down my CD collection. But as I was telling people last night, I really don't have much of a CD collection because I was never really into music. Uh, until I bought a 60 gig iPod. After which, I have become voracious. I can't help but go to people's houses and say hi, and while they're making me a cup of tea, pull CDs off the shelf to put into my book to put onto my iPod. Um, I, I suck it in now, and I feel passionate about it in a way that I never did. And I think it's because the relationship that I have with that product enables me to set links throughout the world. So as I trek around, I left a life that no longer exists except in my 60 gig iPod. The house that I shared um, for two years with a lover is no longer there. She shares it with somebody else now, who may or may not be her lover. Um, <laughs> but the point is that the walls are repainted, that none of my things are there anymore. And that's not a life I can necessarily go back to. But the place that it does exist is in my iPod. I no longer have a home in Australia, and my parents hate me saying this, but it's true. I have a room on the top story of their house that is packed full of boxes. The only life that I have exists in my iPod. And it's not because of the iPod. It's because it's a technology that is so equipped that I've been able to mash it into my traveling existence. And I'm not so sure that the Zoom will enable you to do this, because the Zoom is premised around a different relationship. And it's a relationship that is regulated by software, rather than a relationship that is regulated by social relations. Hang on, Aren't, isn't your relationship with your iPod regulated by software? Yes, it is. But the interface on the iPod, and, and this is a contentious point, and I'm happy to argue it later because I thought it up last night. Um, the relationship that I have with this computer feels social because this is a device for sharing culture. It is a device that I utilize. So this is not magic, but the way in which I utilize this device is one to facilitate sharing of culture. And it's because of the internets. And the internets is not a series of tubes. Even though if it was, horses could get through it. But sometimes it gets clogged up. Um, but this, this, is, this is a device that I utilize to experience the world around me. And it's a device that makes that very, very easy. And that's a blank slide. And, and The Daily Show is high on the list of, of things that we, that we talk about frequently when we talk about convergence culture. And we look at the sites in which it is played out. And I think that they're starting to get it. Because you only need to look at, at the, I think it was like the six or eight hours between when Comedy Central pulled down everything from YouTube and when they put everything back up in response um, to complaints to realize that people are starting to get it. But what they're starting to get is a changed relationship. And this is what we've been talking about certainly yesterday. When we talk about the series of, the series of tubes, and, and Ted Stevens was rightly criticized for the series of tubes, and this is just to return once more to the visceral metaphor, something interesting happened, and it was because there were, there were two principal responses to Ted's series of tubes. And the first one was this, which is cool, you know? This is MIT, science, math, all those sorts of things. So if we're going to better represent the internet series of tubes, why not make some little bio tank? They're actually vacuum tube things. This is the other way the internet is a series of tubes was represented. And I actually think that this one is more telling because first of all, the internet is a bit more like fallopian tubes. Um, 
except there's only one channel out, and that's the problem. Um, <clears throat> but this describes uh, a changed sense in the way that we relate to culture now. The top one is all about technology. The bottom one is all about embodied practice. The bottom one is about squishiness. The bottom one is about the organicness of the way that we think about technology, which is why the TDK ads are so fraught and so problematic, because they suggest that the technology will change us. But in a converged environment, the way that we imagine the technology has changed. And so it seems perfectly reasonable now to make an argument that, yes, the internet is a series of tubes, but it looks like that, and it's filled with blood and guts and all the other things that go in there. You can see I'm not an anatomy major either. Um, my apologies to everyone in the room for that comment. Um, <coughs> but it also represents um, uh, a shift away from a masculine image to a more feminine image. Um, and the rise of the construction of the citizen consumer uh, is attached to or has been paired by um, uh, an increasing uh, acceptance of, of identity politics and of politics that were traditionally prescribed to a female domain. Now, I'm not suggesting that they are. I'm just suggesting that, that the, one of the most powerful semiotic images we have <clears throat> is that of the young girl who is someone who at simultaneously embodies every hope that we have for the future and everything that we need to protect. And so the place where many, many uh, of our social problems are written is on the bodies of young women. <clears throat> and I think that, that this description of the internet suggests a shift in the way that we're thinking about technology. I was thinking uh, to just continue the, the, uh, the visceral metaphor about frottage, which is a fetish. Um, and frottage is, is the fetish of s sexual arousal from rubbing up against clothed people in public. Um, and um, and I, I put the image of the, of the subway up there because there used to be a TDK ad that I did spend hours and hours and hours searching for the other night. Um, so I'll have to reenact it for you. Um, it was a cinema ad, so it was gorgeous. And it was based around a metronome. And at the beginning, someone would kick off the metronome and it would go tick-tock because it goes tick-tock, but like that. Um, and the entire ad was a series of vignettes of people responding to this motion. And so there was a boat rocking on the ocean, and you went into the boat, and there were some people in the bed getting it on to TDK. Um, and one of the images in the ad was of two people on the subway, rocking together, fully clothed, both with their headphones on. And he was standing behind her, and she was standing in front of him. And all she did was close her eyes and look up. And that was enough to try and talk about the relationship that TDK is having. And, and I thought that this, in the, when we think then about the, about the evolve to TDK ads, I think that this is an interest, because the, the TikTok ad was, was in the mid-90s, 95, 96, and evolve was 2000. Um, and so it, it seems to me that TDK has gone a different way, away from this sense of social relations, and instead towards this idea that, that technology is developing us. But I was thinking about this ad because I was thinking about social networks and the way what social networks used to be, and I say used to because I thought they were up until yesterday, um, was, was an experience of frottage. You know, online dating is about putting yourself out there and just experiencing the pleasure of rubbing up against other people. And the joy of social networks is that, is that you can be whoever you want. And so you don't have to necessarily be your embodied self. You can wholeheartedly become somebody else and rub up against other people and experience all of the fun and pleasure that comes from that frottage. 
but you never know who you're going to run into in the subway and who you might rub up against. Um, and that's the problem with the frottage metaphor for social networks. And it was Rob Tursek who made this point yesterday. And he said that, that initially social networks were all about mass. They were about that frottage. And then they were about interest groups. And now they're about something else. What I think they're about now are trust groups, which again describes a different sort of relationship. Where we are invested is no longer necessarily in empowering the technology, even though we now have referral services and aggregation services, but rather trust networks. So things like all-consuming. And this comes back to Josh filling up his iPod. Um, because I, I have kind of average musical taste, but also because I'm disconnected from the channels that I used to use back home to find out about new music. What I do now is lurk on my friends' blogs and just soak up whatever is on their all-consuming lists. And so I don't know which of the good radio stations in town, or I can't match myself to any of them the way I used to back home. And so the style leaders that I have are a small group of people that I know and trust who plop up on the blog the things that they are consuming and give me pointers around. And this, I think, is, is the transition from the frottage idea of social networking towards the trusted, uh, the trusted network idea. What I think all of this, this visceral metaphor is about is, is a transition uh, in the way that we use technology towards tactile relationships. They're no longer, I mean, and frottage is tactile. Um, but the relationships that, that are mediated through technology now, particularly from, from corporations uh, and broadcasters to audiences, are ones of tactility. They involve touch rather than necessarily just putting things out there and expecting you to soak it up. And where we end up with, what we end up with is a, a proposition that the audience is not beh behavior. So the audience and what audiences do are not the result of a bunch of stimuli, but rather that, um, that they re a response to the relationship that you're constructing, which is why G's uh, squirming about the legalities of his project was so interesting. Because when he was challenged on how do you get around the legalities of it and, and isn't this vandalism and what do the brands think, his response was, I'm not responsible for those brands. They mediate their own relationships. And so, yes, sticking stickers up on things and encouraging people to write on them may be vandalism. But what does it do to brands? Well, that's not his problem. What he's doing is opening up a space, and that's what I think is so interesting about his project, um, the ethics of, of, of the vandalism aside. He's opening up a space, and what companies get back has to do with what they put out. He's offering people a chance to say something. Now, this is a fraught argument, as most of these arguments are. You can say that the way, the confrontational way that he does it and the sites that he does it in, the sorts of people who are likely to, to do it and the anonymity that the project is built around encourages or even uh, encodes certain sorts of responses. So someone is probably not going to walk up to, to a guess ad and go, I heart guess and mean it honestly. The bubble project is probably not one that is going to encourage um, uh, people to, to offer loving responses. But I'm going to read the book to find out whether they do and whether people do rock up and go, I heart McDonald's, you know, or your rock or something in response um, to, to a sticker. Where this audience no longer equals behavior proposition leads us is, uh, this is a really old mantra and people are going to be bored about hearing it. 
But it's this notion of the transition from expression, of, of impressions to expressions. And it's just a versus, so it could be the other way, and it probably should be the other way, but anyway. Impressions is the old model. When audiences are behaviors, we set things out, uh, we send messages out that leave an impression on them that prompt them to do something. The model that, that we have when we understand tactile relationships is one where audiences offer expressions about what they think about things. And what you want to encourage is audiences to speak in some way. And it's all about spit. Um, and, and this is where we connect with, with the content for today. I pinched this slide from Henry, and it doesn't show up so well in the light, but it's, it's Spock and Kirk kissing. And it's, it's, um, it's a bit of fan, um, fan fiction slash fiction. And this, is, fan ex this is, is consumer expression. And when we move away from the idea of, of uh, too many slides, of impressions, and move instead to providing audiences with a space to express themselves or encouraging those expressions, you're going to end up with a bit of spit. And you've got to deal with that spit. Because spit is good. Spit suggests that people have taken up the commodities that have been produced and transformed them into culture. And so... This is a far too simplistic thing, but I'm going to say it because it kind of works for me. Is that the paradox that media producers create is that they produce what are essentially commodities, particularly if they're big media. They, they're organized around the rationales of, of economic scale and they're produced and they're, and, they're, and they're sent out to the world. Now, those rationales and that economic scale is changing, but ultimately, on one end, the production end, it's a commodity that is sold. But in order for it to be successful, it needs to be transformed from a commodity into a cultural artifact. It needs to be taken up by people such that they will bother to come home every Monday night to see your show, such that they will tell their TiVo to tape it, such that they will tear up your book. They'll stick a sticker on something. And when your product is transformed, when the content is transformed from a commodity to culture, you have to cede control. Because once it becomes culture, it is no longer yours if you are a media producer. And that's problematic, and that's okay. And so what we have been talking about is the way in which this culture functions. And what we're going to talk about today are two specific sites in, uh, around which this process of enculturation of commodities takes place. And the first is, um, is, is in fan cultures. And this, is the first, this is the first panel for today. Fan cultures is a tough term because fan is a tough term. It has allusions to behavior rather than action, even though it is one of the most active um, images that we have of the audience. Um, fan, of course, comes from fanatic, which suggests that, the, that there is something exceptional about these modes of behavior. But just the same way that uh, it's no longer ironic to be ironic anymore, don't you think? It's no longer fanatical to be a fan because fan relationships circulate around a whole lot of other things like iPods, like brands, like bloody college football teams as much as they do Harry Potter. And the second thing we're going to talk about are big swords. Um, no, uh, a world in which um, uh, identities are formed. And I... Oh, too many slides again. I put... <gasps> I put this image up so that we can... This is, is fan art about, about Harry Potter. The difference between slash fiction and fan art about Harry Potter is a thin line because in both instances, it's an assertive act of identity formation. 
And this is, is uh, the, the codename Kids Next Door Cartoon Network site, um, which is a, a games-oriented site uh, designed around a, a series of properties that, again, trades on uh, fan investment in these properties. Um, and this is, is an assertive act of identity creation. Getting people to come and participate enough in your site such that they will contribute to it um, is, is a process of identity formation. And when we're talking about fan cultures, and particularly fan cultures in children, we're talking about identity, uh, identity formation and, and future thought and things like that. When we move to guys with big swords and virtual online worlds, we're again talking about identity formation. And what is so interesting about these, big, these, these online worlds is that they provide a particularly free-ranging environment, a lot like writing fan fiction, for us to experiment with identities. And sometimes they're full of spit. Um, I don't know who'd want the joy of Second Life Sex abridged version. Um, <laughs> But it's out there in case you wanted to have it. And one of the things that we're going to do today is, is look at this, which is, is uh, an MTV project um, that is Virtual Laguna Beach, which is interesting because it takes what is essentially a reality version of the OC and puts it into a virtual world and allows everyone to play at being those sorts of people and assume and play with those sorts of identities.